What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets, and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100-GAMBLER and visit rg-help.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I am joined today by Chris Vernon. Chris, what a week it was for underdogs. Which one surprised you the most? Um, I would say the Jags. Yeah. The Jags probably surprised me the most. But Warren, I got to be honest with you. This was one of those weeks. So just before we get started, underdogs were nine and three. There were seven outright upsets this week. And so you had... All manner of these games where the underdogs won, and we'll get to all of them. But one of the things that I was thinking about last night after that Titans game ended was we go through the week, and there is just there, there's so much news, and we're inundated with the news coming out, and then people debating the news or people adding on to the news. So Derrick Henry's out, and they're going to add Adrian Peterson, and where is Odell Beckham Jr. going, and on and on. And I uh, and I went and I jotted down all the different ones. We had all this player news this past week. So we had, uh, and, and, and all these guys that were in the news, their teams wildly outperformed expectation. Derrick Henry, gone. Titans were awesome against the Rams. Odell Beckham, gone. Browns, awesome against the Bengals. Von Miller, gone. Broncos, unbelievable against the Cowboys. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, gone. Awesome against the 49ers. And even the Packers, you know, they're they're without Aaron Rodgers, and they cover their game against Kansas City. And, you know, it made me wonder how much did we overreact to 
all this different news that we're hit with throughout the week in terms of our thought pro- thought process on how these games are going to go. And then you start to feel like, all right, it's 53 guys on a roster. It's pretty obvious one guy, if it's not the quarterback, one guy is going to change things dramatically. And you don't know if these were galvanizing issues, like all these guys that I just mentioned, right? Then it's kind of like a rally the troops. Everybody comes together. But I couldn't help but think about all this news that came out throughout the week. And in every one of those situations, those teams performed much differently and much better than we could have ever expected. We should start with last night. We, You and I chronicled the Derrick Henry injury last week. We said, outside of quarterbacks, this is probably the most essential guy to a team. And there it was last night, the Titans playing against the Rams. Jeffrey Simmons looks like a combination of uh, Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor. And Stafford makes some bad throws. The Titans' defense is fantastic. And now we look, and the Titans are, you know, atop the AFC after last night, and we saw their first time out without Derrick Henry. I mean, you tell me how important he was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, th- that's the one that stood out to me from the list of teams that you mentioned where the unit where the player was missing really didn't step up. And the reason I say that is the Tennessee Titans had 192 total yards offensively. They averaged only 3.5 yards per play. They scored on a pick six. They had another interception uh, where Ryan Tannehill lost. uh, Sorry, uh, Matthew Stafford lost his mind completely and threw that pass to try to avoid the safety right to the defender's hands, which he was tackled at like the four yard line. And so they scored on that short drive. Um, This offense was not good whatsoever. for the most part, uh, Adrian Peterson averaged only 2.1 yards per carry. Jeremy McNichols only 3.4. The two of them combined had 17 rushing attempts. Only one of those gained a first down. Um, they, the, the run game clearly did not work for the Tennessee Titans. They tried to utilize it the same way as they would have with Derrick Henry there, in my opinion. And they still did not have any success. What won them this game was, of course, their defense and that unit stepping up, playing significantly better and getting pressure on on Ryan, on uh, Matthew Stafford. And two, two comments on this game. The first was from an announcer perspective. And I'm watching this game and I'm seeing Matthew Stafford get pressured and Matthew Stafford get pressured. And all the announcers are talking about in the first half of this game is, oh yeah, there he goes with another sack. Oh, this defensive line's really getting after him. Oh, look at that bull rush. And I don't quite understand this, Chris. We as viewers can see all that with our eyes. And the cameras are trained on what's going on with the pass rush and the offensive line. We don't see all the routes that are being run down the field. Wouldn't you think the announcers would give us some clue as to what is going on down the field as to why Matthew Stafford isn't throwing the football, why he's holding on to the ball in the pocket? What is going on with these routes? I mean, now we're going to have to watch the All-22. Why aren't any of the announcers discussing 
well, yeah, um, Sean McVay needs to make some adjustments with the routes to get some shorter openings, or wow, these defenders are really sitting on everything, um, and Matthew Stafford's not. There was guys open deep went on some of these deeper routes, but he wasn't pulling the trigger. Like We had no concept or notion at all as to what the hell was going on in the secondary. What we did see on TV was Matthew Stafford was under a significant amount of pressure from this defensive line, and that's really what appeared to win the game for the Tennessee Titans. The other thing that was frustrating me about this game, Chris, was just the play calling in general and the lack of urgency from Sean McVay. And I know I sound ridiculous when I criticize Sean McVay because so many people out there think he's like the best coach in the NFL or one of the top three. And I know his team was seven and one heading into the game last night. But I'm looking at this team they, to me, were abiding by what I call the scoreboard fallacy, where they look at the scoreboard and they keep kicking these field goals and they think, okay, we're only, we're, we're going to cut it to an 11 point game. We're going to cut it to a 15 point game. We're, we're okay. And we're at 11 points. And so they were at 11 points, the deficit, uh, 21 to nine. And they have the ball and there's 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I'm talking to a, a friend of mine on the phone about this game. And, and during the commercial, before they started this drive, I said to them, Let's, let, let me set some odds. How many times do you think they're going to, they're down 11 points here and there's only 10 and a half minutes left. How many times do you think they're going to let the play clock while, it's, while the game clock is moving? How many times do you think they're going to let the play clock tick? Like what would be the most egregious uh, l- distance inside, you know, with the play clock running down? for them to snap it. Do you think they need to snap it every time before it hits 10 seconds? Is that reasonable? And we said, yeah, that would be reasonable, but what's the over-under? Do you think Do you think that there would be ever a time where it would get below four and a half seconds? Like inside of five seconds would be absolutely egregious. It cannot get inside of five seconds. And he's like, I, I completely agree. I said, I bet we see at least one time where on a moving game clock, they're snapping the ball inside of five seconds. And I said, how many run plays do you think that they're going to call? Because they, they, they really can't be running the football here. So we set that at one, over under one and a half, that there would be a run play called um, and no first down runs. I kid you not, they start with the ball at 10 minutes and 35 seconds. They eat up literally four minutes of game clock and go only to the Tennessee 42, where they have a third and three, don't convert, Fourth and one, don't convert Tennessee Titans football. They had at least two, if not three, snaps on a moving game clock where they snapped the ball inside of five seconds left on the game on the play clock. I think they were both at one second left. It, it was it was absurd to me, Chris, watching the way that they called this game late and how they were executing their offense. It it, it just it just was quite. Uh, frustrating to me to watch. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I will stand up a little bit uh, th- for for the announcers just in terms of the celebration of Jeffrey Simmons because I did read this morning. You know that next gen stat uh, chronicles everything that takes place in the game. Last night he is became the second interior defensive lineman since they started tracking this. So that's 2016. That's five years to record. Six or more pressures, three or more sacks in a single half. The only other guy 
that's ever done that was Kalias Campbell in week one of 2017. And Stafford was under pressure on eight of 20 dropbacks, 40% of his dropbacks. And his previous high on in any game this year was week two against Indianapolis, and it was 22%. So I think part of it is they just had not faced anything like this, clearly, right? I mean, this this guy has been dealing with a clean pocket when the, when the highest percentage was Indianapolis in week two, and that was 22%. I mean, when you are getting run up on in 40% of the times that you drop back, there's somebody in your face. You know what I mean? That's and I I I 100% agree and I 100% agree with celebrating him. He had a brilliant game and your statistics clearly bear that out. I just as a viewer, I would like to know, okay, this is a problem. The 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 Rams see that it's a problem. We as viewers see it's a problem. You're not, the announcers are telling it's a problem. What is Sean McVay doing about it, right? Like, what is the adjustment in game? Is is he, why can't Stafford get rid of the ball? Is it really happening so quickly that he can't find anybody at all to throw it? Why don't they slide in a back instead of operating out of empty as much? What, like, where are the answers? And that's kind of what I would be looking for. I, I don't know, just, just a personal nitpick. We've got so much other things to discuss yeah. here about so many of these incredible underdogs, but as a viewer, I want the announcers, especially the color guys, to tell me what could be done to avoid this, what is happening down the field that we're not seeing. And too much of it was just the color guy piling on the uh, play-by-play guy and both of them just discussing what everybody can see with their own two eyes as opposed to strategies or adjustments or things that are occurring out of the field of vision. Okay, so... Regarding the underdogs and the big uh, outright upsets, we'll get to the Cowboys' demolition at the hands of the Broncos in a moment. But the one that surprised me the most, and we started off the show, you asked me that, yep. was, and I think this is true across the board for everybody. Anytime, if people weren't watching that game and they saw the score come across the bottom line, or they broke in for a highlight every once in a while on some of the games, because there weren't many highlights in the game. It was met with what the hell, and that is the Jaguars and the Bills. That is the the Bills scoring six points against the Jaguars might be the most shocking thing that has happened this NFL season. <laughs> like I don't even I don't even understand how that's possible, right? Like, it's almost like everything we think, everything we know about both of those teams was completely thrown out the window. Nine to six? And I I lean on you, Warren. What the hell? Yeah, it absolutely was surprising to me as well. Um, So Buffalo went with a very pass-heavy approach in this game. And for whatever reason, I'm going to have to look back at the film. Their offensive line, it was sort of like the Rams game, could not get any protection for Josh Allen. And every time that I'm looking at the score of that game, like I'm looking at the game on my screens of games, I didn't have anything on that game. So I wasn't watching it as closely. But every time I'm looking at it to see what's going on in it, 
I am seeing Josh Allen running for his life. And when you're one-dimensional and then you're only running and, and then your quarterback is being pressured as often as Josh Allen was, the results inevitably aren't going to be pretty. But it was absolutely a shock that the Jags defense, as you kind of alluded to, was able to step up like that because the Jags defense on the season prior to that game ranked dead last. They were the worst defense in the entire NFL. So to hold the number 10 offense of the NFL of the Buffalo Bills, and I think some people, you know, what, what what's funny to me, Chris, is I think the Bills are a very good team. But so many people, when I see them do their rankings of the AFC contenders and all that, you know, leading up to this game, we're like, okay, Buffalo, Buffalo's number one. Let's figure out the rest of the AFC, right? Everybody's just like throwing them in like de facto, absolutely number one. Now their defense was number one in terms of their overall ranking, but they've played the ninth easiest schedule of opposing offenses. Their offense ranked number 10 but it's played the third easiest schedule of opposing defenses. So you wouldn't necessarily expect them to run into this level of a buzzsaw in Jacksonville, but this is not like, oh yeah, Bills and everybody else. Like uh, they are, de they, I will one. say, Warren, like I looked at the odds this morning, they're co-favorites with the Bucks now to win the Super Bowl. And oh, that's and that's yeah. after losing to the freaking Jags. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I I would I would suppose there aren't a lot of people running in, rushing to the betting window to bet Bills win the Super Bowl the day after they lose to the Jags. But you would think that's the kind of thing that could knock down those odds significantly, because then public sentiment, once you lose a game like that. To the Jaguars, public sentiment's not going to be with you, at least until you beat the crap out of somebody going forward. But they're still right there at the very top of the list as teams is favored to win the Super Bowl. That's what makes it all the more ridiculous that w- what took place yesterday. I'll just say this about the Buffalo Bills. They have played, since their week one loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have played nothing but defenses that rank 20th or worse mm. across the board. Number 26, number, I'll read it in order of the game starting in week two onwards through uh, this past game. Number 26 defense, number 29, number 23, number 31, number 20, number 26, and number 32. Next week, they're going to play the Jets, which, who rank number 28. After that, they play six straight games against defenses that rank top 11. The Colts, the Saints, the Patriots, the Bucks, the Panthers, the Patriots again. So it's going to be quite interesting as we discuss the Bills moving forward. They've got this game against the Jets. They now got to get back on track in a big way. They Their offense struggled against the Dolphins last week. They only put up 26 points and, and barely won that game. I mean, it was 26 to 11, but much closer than I think a lot of people thought, especially at halftime in that game, could not do anything against this Jaguars defense, which was the worst in the NFL. Now they get the Jets. I mean, they also are supposed to be a bottom five defense. Can the Bills look a little bit better there? But then, hello, 
to what this offense is going to have to do down the stretch against these really good, really good defenses. Mm. So maybe we should do a wait and see on the Bills. Well, I think I think the Bills clearly need to do some things offensively to improve themselves. Um, they have gotten a lot of good play out of their defense um, over the course of the season, which is why their defense ranks really well. But this is just a team. This is why I'm just saying in the AFC, I think the AFC is wide open, wide open. There's so many teams that are like five and four. I think I saw the thing like the AFC is separated by like only two games. I mean, you got teams that are on the cusp of making the playoffs that are not in the playoffs that are that are sitting at five and four. There are so many teams that are like with really good, like above average records that are going to miss the playoffs in the AFC. Um, and I just think in any given day, because the Chiefs aren't a superpower and the Bills haven't really been tested yet. And I just think any given day, a team comes in with a great game plan and it executes well. Any of these teams can beat anybody else. Like I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's got to take like another superpower team to upset the Bills or to upset the Chiefs. Clearly, I mean they almost lost to Jordan Love. If you want to go there next, that that was a a game that was not an upset. But that you know, even if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play, you play that game five times. Uh, the Packers are winning probably two of them just by variance alone. One more thing on your your point regarding the AFC. We're through nine weeks. There's only two teams with two losses, and that's the Ravens and the Titans. And I don't think there's a ton of people lining up calling them favorites yep, to, win the, to win the conference, right? How many people uh, w- want to be holding that uh, AFC champion ticket and feel a tremendous amount of confidence holding the ticket of either of those teams? It is wide open. If you told me, God, I don't, I mean, there's probably. What maybe six, six of the teams probably that if they didn't, uh, if you told me they were going to win the AFC championship, I would tell you you're goofy. The rest of them, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you told it's me, it's going to make I, for exciting playoffs. Yeah, for no, sure. it, it is. It's and and the AFC is much better than the NFC um, in terms of the parity because you do have a bunch of teams in the NFC. You've got Arizona who's got the one loss, but you got four more two loss teams in the NFC who's who they're all really in pole position to make the playoffs. And it's Rams, Cowboys, Bucks, and Packers. One of those teams are actually, we already covered the Rams. The other one was the Cowboys and the other one is the Packers. So let's go in that order. Cowboys first, as you know, I watched the Cowboys games in, intensely. We went down to my father's house, me and my son. We'll tell you it was a bonafide, miserable experience. <laughs> That is by far the worst I have ever seen Dak Prescott, whether he is still nursing injury, whether it was uh, Vic Fangio and the Denver defense, even when he would, he, he was just, he, he's always been, if he's anything, he's accurate. And he was inaccurate the whole game. And even when he was accurate, guys dropped passes. It was just, I, I don't understand. Um, you know, it's two weeks away. Obviously, didn't play in that last game as Cooper Rush filled in for him. Uh, whether you want to call it rust, whether you call it injury, whether you're not giving enough credit to Denver, I don't know. But that was 
the most ridiculous representation of what that team has looked like on both sides of the ball this season. Trevon Diggs is getting absolutely burnt. Dak can't do anything. Tim Patrick is turning into you know Randy Moss. Like, and maybe I should have seen this coming. T- Teddy Two Gloves is what, like 20 or 21 and three now as a road underdog. Um, it's one thing to cover. It's another that they just outright dominated the Cowboys, outcoached, outplayed, out everything. You heard Mike McCarthy say that after the game. Just, I mean, uh, truly a shocking turn of events for a team that has been good all season. Only loss was to the Bucks at the end of the game. And not only that, had covered every game coming into this one. And they just got their heads stomped in. What do you think? Yeah, uh, that that was, I mean, I think you're right. The second most surprising outcome. Um, I almost put it up there neck and neck with like the, the, the Bills, quite honestly, just because when you look at Denver's defensive performances, uh, this defense has been getting points scored on them from any like reasonable offense with a pulse. And they really haven't played that many. But I mean, they were allowing points to the teams that were capable. I, I think what I anticipated coming into this game was that Dallas was going to turn more toward the run. Um, the run defense of the Denver Broncos, they were missing so many guys and they ranked sixth worst in the NFL. And Dallas ran the ball in the fir- in early downs in the first quarter. They ran the ball 64% of the time, which is great. They averaged 5.4 yards per carry and a 57% success rate. So they were fine running the ball early on in this game. What ended up happening was Denver was able to be very, very productive on the Dallas Cowboys defense, who ranked sixth entering this game. Denver was putting up these points. And then you know what Dallas does? In the second quarter, they hardly have the ball at all. And they only call two run plays on early downs the entire second quarter and don't have success on those. And at that point, they're down 16 to 10, and they feel like they got to go back to the to the pass the rest of the way. It's really the the worst script that you could write for a quarterback trying to come back from a calf injury. You want to lean on the run against a bad run defense, and they just because of the scoreboard and then because of, I think, just some some decisions that they had had to get away from the run game a little bit. I would have liked to see them lean more on that, as, I, as ironic as that sounds, because I usually champion passing attack. But when the run game was working effectively, especially in the first quarter, and it's a weakness of the opposing defense and your quarterback is injured, as long as these runs are gaining five-something yards per carry, you, you lean into that. But you know they they got away from it. Well, I I knew I knew it was not their day when they backed Denver all the way up. You're pra- they're practically in their own end zone on a third and f- or a fourth and forever. Denver punts. Dallas blocks the punt. The ball goes forward yeah. off the block. It hits a guy. Okay, bounces over his head. Denver goes and jumps on it, still short of what would be 
the line to gain. And then after this meeting, they come out and they say, Denver, first down. And I'm like, wait, hold on now. Like, I now this is one I had not seen. Like, I didn't, I, you know, I remember clearly there's the Leon Lett play 100 years ago, but that was on a field goal. I don't understand how it can be deemed a change of possession after, you know, just because the ball went past the line of scrimmage and was touched at that point. <laughs> like, that is, I guess that, that is deemed a change in possession. Therefore, when Denver jumps on it, when they said first down Denver, I think everybody was like, hold on, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, I think I, I agree. I, I've, 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 I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team benefit from a block. Yeah, punt. I've never seen that before. I mean, I guess strictly by the rule book, um, if if the ball, they, they treat it like a regular punt, a tipped punt, a regular punt, if it goes beyond the line of scrimmage, pretend like you're kicking it 40 yards and the punter muffs the ball then they touched it and now you can recover it so it's your ball i guess that's how they treat any ball that goes beyond the line of scrimmage but i i surely have never seen that before yeah i mean it it almost made me think like what if you <laughs> what if you did what if you hiked it and then you uh just follow me here and i know this is going to sound crazy i don't know where but i don't like the way this is headed <laughs> no this isn't out of the okay. realm of possibility what if you hiked it to your punter and your punter just dinks it. Like, whatever. 10 yards. I mean, there's a reasonable chance that some guy on special teams is going to run back and try to, like, recover that thing, right? You know what I'm saying? If you just kicked it, like, 10, 15 yards, and now all of a sudden it's almost like you're treating it like an onside kick. Now, it could backfire on you, but the chances of a guy trying to touch that, not knowing, not realizing, because it's just so out of the realm of anything that normally happens. I don't think it's crazy to think that one day that may actually happen from somebody at midfield. If you just dinked it, if your punter just dinked it like 10 yards and now the ball's just like open in the middle of the field. And then, cause you're not, you know, you're taking out of possibility all the normal plays that would take place. Nobody knows if to fair catch it. Nobody Right? Somebody's going to go and maybe try to recover it. Now it turns into a free-for-all where everybody's just hitting each other. It's just so strange, and I think that it probably did alert some people like, hold on now. If the ball goes anywhere, all the other team has to do is touch it, and then we what can was grab the one, it. What was the play like, where a couple teams started doing this? I think they might have outlawed this, where you just kicked it straight up into the air really short. And 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 yeah. and I forget what that was. If that was like a kickoff or a, yeah, it was a kickoff. Something happened, and they were, yeah, they were doing that because people were getting. You know, I mean, obviously, you can get killed. You got some two hundred and fifty pound guy running a four two, you know, right down the field. Nobody really, you know, nobody in the middle of the field is trained to fair catch, you know, or like has that as a, um a mode of operation. They're just trying to, oh my God, the ball's coming to me. What the hell is the ball coming to me for? I'm, I'm supposed to be out here to block, right? Why are they, why, why am I having to catch this ball? It's just some kind of strange play. But anyway, certainly not the Cowboys day to, uh, to say the least. And they got throttled. Um, and it'll be fascinating to see if people, you know, how much people hold it against the Cowboys and the Bills going forward and even for next week. 
I will say that of the upsets, the one that I was the least shocked at, and I'll tell you why, from following you and others throughout the years, if there's one thing I have uh, grown a keen awareness of, it is when the public is all over something, they don't have all those uh, shows and lights and hotel rooms and all that nice stuff in Vegas because everybody wins. And I saw someone tweet out yesterday morning, forgive me because I can't remember who it was, that 99% of the bets at FanDuel were on the Cincinnati Bengals. And I was like, oh my God, if there has ever been a lock. <laughs> so every time the every time that score came across and the Browns had scored again, I was like, I, I even told my son, I said, trust me. That is the lock of all locks. If so, if everybody, if 99% on one team, this is a Browns win. There's no way. And of course they end up winning that game by 25 points. And I was just shocked to even see, I guess people with the Odell news and people are down on the Browns anyway, but I was shocked to see that Warren because how soon I guess people forgot that the, the Bengals might have made Mike White like $20 million last week. <laughs> I mean, the guy threw for 400 yards. No one had ever heard of him. No one even knows who that is. And he came in and threw for 400 yards against them. And then everybody turns around and is like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm betting the Bengals. Like, did, did nobody, I guess, everybody knows the Mike White thing happened, right? Like, why why would you why would I, I why would everybody be vociferously backing the Bengals to that degree after we just saw them lose to the Jets and give up 400 yards passing to a human that no one even knew existed 2 weeks ago. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. <laughs> um the uh, what I will say is the um the public obviously was on the Bengals. The Bengals were headed into a bye week. The Bengals' offense looked really good against the Jets. Their defense did not. People still have in mind that the Bengals, A, I mean, they have short-term memories. They thought the Bengals, A, have the better record than the Browns. B, are at home. C, had just beat Lamar Jackson the prior week. And D, everybody just saw this Cleveland Browns team lose what? Two of their prior, sorry, three of their prior four games, including last week's game to the Pittsburgh Steelers where the public was all on the Browns against the Steelers. They lose outright at home as favorites to the Pittsburgh Steelers when the Steelers don't even have a field, their, their kicker is out. So the Steelers have to go for two every single time and they're, they're still able to win that game. And I think everybody was just like, Baker's hurt. Baker sucks. Look how bad Baker sucks. Odell wants out of town. We like Odell because he's a flashy wide receiver. We don't like Baker because clearly look at his statistics, plus he's injured. And I think everybody sort of gravitated towards the Bengals there. That's my guess as to why people were lining up. Um, losing the turnover battle three to nothing will lose you basically every single game. So it's not at all shocking that because they could not um, control the football that they, I mean, what Burrow had two interceptions, took five sacks. Um, 
It was just a well-called game by Kevin Stefanski, in my opinion. Offensively, um, they were very balanced. They were, I mean, Nick Chubb broke that long run. He had 137 yards rushing on only 14 attempts. Um, but overall, you know, aside from that really long run, the the Bengals run defense did pretty well um, against Nick Chubb, like relatively speaking, but I really feel like um, this was just a really solid team effort. And like you said at the top, this is one of those instances where the team rallied around themselves and the coaches with one of the players being out. And we see that sometimes. And they made a statement, you know, we don't need you, Odell. We don't need your deep routes. We don't need uh, you complaining after we don't target you. Uh, we're still going to be very efficient. We don't, we're not missing anything. They hit that long touchdown to Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, I, I just feel like this was a statement win by the Browns. And, you know, now they got the Patriots next week. So it doesn't get any easier. Um, but that was like sort of a de facto home game almost. It's in Ohio, the Browns. Uh, if you think about like what these teams were heading into the season, that's where I think so many sharps were on the Browns. The Browns were supposed to be a double-digit win team. The Bengals were supposed to be like a six-and-a-half win team. You know, the Browns were supposed to be the big brother. They were last year. They're supposed to be this year. They just weren't living up to it, but they still had all the same talent. And uh, they really put little brother in their in his place. Yeah, and I think that now when it's it's one of those this was the week more than any week where it was like okay here's what we all believe and now we have we're eight weeks into the season so it's week nine and we've got these things that we just believe in and we feel like we've got a big enough sample size to believe in these things and all of those things were ruined (laughs) right and one of which was oh my God, the Cardinals are going to be without Kyler Murray. Okay, well, it's Colt McCoy. He's been around for 100 years, and at least they'll still have DeAndre Hopkins, but then it's announced before the game. They're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, does this game more than any possibly tell us about the Cardinals and kind of what they are and what they're made of? Because for them to win that game without those two guys and do it in rather dominating fashion. It's not like they were, uh, it, you know, they had to they had to withstand some late drives uh, that the 49ers had, but they were up big in that game. I mean, they pasted them in the first half for sure. Um, I don't know, man. Is that one of those where we've got a, they're eight and one. They're the only one loss team in the NFL. And for them to be able to win without, their quarterback and without their best receiver was downright shocking to me. Yeah, I was, I mean, this, this, this to me speaks of two things. I'm going to have to start thinking better about the Arizona Cardinals as a team, because I still think they aren't league wide getting as much respect, even though their record is incredible, uh, myself included, uh, because maybe it's our perceptions of cliff and, you know, just what we've thought of Cliff over the years. And maybe it's like, okay, this team is like launching themselves forward, but is this really sustainable? Is this really who they are? Um, can they keep this up kind of thing? And then part of it is Kyle Shanahan. Like, what the hell, dude? Like, 
I mean, this, this, <laughs> what the hell, this, dude? This defense, I didn't understand. This defense was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Um, they couldn't tackle, they couldn't do much of anything. So, huge problems defensively. And then it just gets back to like, what is, what is Kyle Shanahan doing out here, right? Like, we like him as an offensive minded coach. Uh, he's borderline incredible as an offensive minded coach. This was not one of his better games for sure. Um, but as a head coach, I mean, what what are we talking about here? I had lofty expectations for this team entering the season, and they've certainly have not been fulfilling those whatsoever. And it the problem is it's not just that you could put your finger on one thing. There's a lot of different things that are going on with this team that raise a lot of questions. And when that type of thing happens, it's undoubtedly, you know, a lot to do with the coaching itself. Right. Like it's, it's because it's not just one thing. It's not just one thing with the office, not just the quarterback. Oh, if the quarterback was better, then we'd be like way up here. And, and so there's just so many different factors here that it points a lot towards the coaching. All right. Two quick things before we get out of here. First of which is we're going to get news on the Odell Beckham Jr. thing. Looks like he wants to go to Seattle. There's a couple other rooms uh, or a couple other teams that are rumored. Um, does he move the needle at all from your perspective and in terms of the way you think about a, a, a team handicapping wise? Um, from a matchup based perspective, I guess there is going to be a factor like you're going to have to account for him and how the defense will match up and what other receivers are out there. But if you're talking about would it raise a team's power rating enough to really move the needle from a point spread perspective or a game total perspective? I would have to say no. Um, it's 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 a slight factor, right? Like it it does factor in a little bit for sure, but it really depends like what that core is. You know, like if you're talking about the Seattle Seahawks, it's not like they lost a player. Like we could talk about the Sean Jackson filling the void for Henry Ruggs. And so if you if if you were the Raiders and you had Henry Ruggs and you added Deshaun Jackson, um, it really doesn't do much for me. But if you lose Henry Ruggs and now you're talking about the Raiders without Henry Ruggs, that's a, that's a slight downgrade. But now adding Deshaun back, filling that void is, is obviously getting you back to kind of where you were. Integrating Odell into a team like the Seahawks, who already have, they're a run first team. They already have Lockett. They already have, um, they already have the, Metcalf. the beast DK Metcalf. How many legitimate targets are we going to be throwing here to Odell Beckham? Um, it's it's just it increases their power rating a little bit. It increases their ability to go over a total a little bit, but it's not like substantial. It's not like this is the move in my mind that would win this team the Super Bowl. You know, you win- know, you know what it feels like, Warren. It feels like a, as you describe that, you know, the situation that comes to my mind is another embattled wide receiver that went to a team that already had two awesome receivers, and that's Antonio Brown. You wonder if he'll be the Antonio Brown for Seattle or if you just get a lot more slot for Lockett. But, I mean, like you say, they've already got Metcalf and Lockett, and now they're adding him. They already had Godwin and Mike Evans, and they added Antonio Brown in Tampa. Yeah, I mean, Antonio Brown was a little bit different to me because – that offense, first of all, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even last year, was one of the most pass-heavy offenses in the NFL, particularly if you got past first down. 
So a lot of targets going up in the air. Secondly, he had already played with Tom Brady previously, and Brady loved him. Brady wanted him to come there. So Brady started going to AB more frequently. And, and so the volume and the targets were there. Can you imagine if AB goes someplace and doesn't really have the same level of respect for Tom Brady? Because Tom Brady's like goaded amongst all players. Everybody wants to play for him. You mean like, Derek, gonna, like, the, like Derek Carr? <laughs> yeah, no, not like Derek <laughs> no, Carr. No, we tried that, I'm saying. We tried that with Antonio yes. Brown. Exactly, exactly. And so if AB wasn't getting those targets and AB wasn't getting the usage and they were running the ball a lot, like I bet AB mentally is not feeling quite as good and starting some issues and whatnot. I'm not saying Odell is going to do the same thing in Seattle if he goes to Seattle, but I just do not feel like he's going to get close to the utilization because it's a team that does not pass the ball as much and Russ has no prior chemistry with him. And now it's like the 11th hour you're adding this guy into the season. I know you got over half the season left. It just doesn't feel like that. If Seattle, Seattle's got a lot of problems right now. They got to fix a lot of problems in order to get to the Super Bowl and potentially win it. If they are able to do that, it's not going to be because they added Odell. It's going to be because they fixed some of their other issues, in my opinion. All right. Uh, last thing, any gambling interest in the Monday night football game? It is the Bears versus the Steelers. To me, it's it's got to be Bears or pass. I mean, I, I can't lay seven with the Steelers here. The problem is going to be that the Bears' defense is beat up. They're without Khalil Mack. Um, they're without their starting safety. They, Jackson. Yep, Jackson. They're down a number of key players here. And I'm still trying to compute what the addition of Matt Nagy back into this mix is going to do. Because last, <laughs> I mean, it's it's sad to say. <laughs> it's a downgrade. It's going to break your computer. It's got, yeah, it's, 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 it's a downgrade for sure. I mean, did you see how much they were letting Justin Fields run and move out of the pocket and do things last week that were special and beneficial for this offense? Without, w- w- without, Nagy being gone and with him being back, I just don't know how conservative an approach they're going to take now with Justin Fields. And it is scary going up a defense like the steel, like the Steelers have with Matt Nagy in charge of kind of the game flow here. So I've done nothing. I probably will do nothing on this game, but I, I can't, I still can't lay seven with the Steelers. I just can't do it. I understand. Warren, I'll catch you on Wednesday with Ben and Friday with House. Thanks, brother. Sounds good, Chris. I'm looking forward to that. And that'll do it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Wednesday with Ben Solak to look at the film and see if we can't use it to find some edges in our bets next week. Looking forward to that show. Thank you to Chris, of course, for joining me on today's show. Thank you to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbeck for producing the show, and we will see you guys on Wednesday. Wednesday.